Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host Chloe Brotheridge. I am a hypnotherapist, a coach, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to share this week's guest with you. I'm talking to Rhiannon Lambert, who is a nutritional therapist. She's the author of the brilliant book, Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, which is very helpful because it's part handbook and part recipe book. And one of the things I love about Rhiannon is that she's completely committed to busting myths around nutrition, making things simple, easy to follow, nothing is too overwhelming, but at the same time, she's really into the science aspect of things and explaining things properly. And she specializes in weight management, eating disorders and sports nutrition. And she sees people one-to-one along with her team at her Harley Street nutrition practice. And we have a really interesting discussion. We talk about her work with eating disorders and food anxiety, and she shares some of her simplest nutrition tips and this is something that I really needed to take on board as well. We talk about the nutrition mistakes that often we make. And she also shares her four R's of eating well, which is just a really good thing to have in your mind when you're thinking about what are the most important things in terms of nourishing yourself properly. We also talk about how to eat well for less anxiety and also how to boost your energy because I know so many of you struggle with your energy levels when you're anxious it uses up a lot of energy and we really need to be eating well to ensure that we keep our energy levels up. And we also get in a little bit to the fascinating topic of gut health and mental health and she shares some of her thoughts on that as well. So don't forget, if you're not already on my mailing list, you can join at karmau.com forward slash free and I will send you a free hypnotherapy mp3 which I practically guarantee will help you to feel calmer and to switch your brain off, particularly if you're an overthinker. And you can grab that at karmau.com forward slash free. And you'll also be the first to hear about the new podcast episodes that I have coming out and events that I'm doing and special offers that I have. And I, I'm often sending out little freebies as well. And those are only available to people on my mailing list. So if you want to get involved with that, then definitely make sure you are joined up on the website. Okay, so I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this episode. Let me know. I'm on Instagram at Chloe Brotheridge. Rhiannon is at Retrition. And please enjoy this episode. So welcome, Rhiannon. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Hi, Chloe. I'm really well. It's so nice to see you. So good to see you. Thanks for taking the time to to talk to us. Very excited. So can you tell us, for people that don't know, what it is that you do and how you got to where you are today? Okay, so I am a registered associate nutritionist, and that means I have a degree in nutrition and health, a first class degree, a 
master's in obesity risks and prevention. And I went on from there to become a master practitioner in eating disorders, which was accredited by the British Psychological Society. So I had a kind of realization, I'd say, at some point in my career that psychology and nutrition work really closely together and they're very, very interlinked. So in my clinic, which is in Harley Street, the nutrition clinic, I really needed those skills to be able to help my clients on a one-to-one -one basis. And the clinic has now evolved, the nutrition um, world. We now have sports nutrition, weight management. We work with eating disorders from a certain view, not inpatient, obviously outpatient um, realms there and with a team. And from that, I now have a book. It's called Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well. And that's available for everyone. Um, very accessible. I think my main mission, Chloe, is just to make nutrition accessible. I think there's so much misconceptions out there and so many myths and so many sensationalist headlines that when you look on the internet, it's a minefield. So my social media nutrition, I try and do as much clearing up as I possibly can. It's amazing how you're always on Instagram busting a myth or just telling it oh. how it is. And it's very reassuring to know that you've, you know, have all these qualifications and you're always, I've noticed, learning something. And I think that's just such a... Um, you know, it means that we can definitely trust what you have to say and you've done your, you've done your background work. I don't think any of us will ever stop learning, really. I know you do a lot as well. So we're all equally continuing professional development forever. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Lifelong learners. I actually think me and my boyfriend were saying, we're not going to have holidays anymore. We're just going to go on kind of <laughs> courses and retreats. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think my boyfriend would kill me if I said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true that's so true I could happily do that <laughs> yeah 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 um amazing um can we talk a little bit about your work with kind of eating disorders and um what are the common things that you see and sort of what, what are the common questions that people have around that that you find um I think first of all um working with eating disorders for me um is very different to working in eating disorders in an inpatient environment. So a BMI of 17.5 plus. Um, and obviously for me, of course, I tend to have a less of a number focus when working with um, disordered eating. And eating disorders come in all shapes, spectrums, different varieties. Every single eating disorder is unique to each client. And that's what's more interesting to me. And I think a big misconception with disordered eating or eating disorders is that it's either one category or another. So you're either the most commonly um, known, I would say, is anorexia. Then you're either anorexic or bulimic, let's say, or um, bin, a binge eater. Whereas actually, in reality, there's a whole spectrum of eating disorders people can fit into. And nutrition is only one part of the triangle. So we work with a, a doctor alongside a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Often they need to see a psychiatrist first to know which course of treatment is needed on the psychological front. So the more support, I think, more of a team approach, the better. But defining these isn't my job role. My job role is to optimize their nutrition, set them challenges and goals. Because I think with eating disorders comes a lot of fear foods, a lot of items that may trigger, as I'm sure you know, being an anxiety expert, a lot of food can trigger anxiety as well for so many people. And working at their pace and helping educate them that food is a wonderful thing and try and keep it as positive as possible rather than being something we fear. What can you get in rather than what can you take out? That's the kind of philosophy behind working with eating disorders. But I make it sound very simple and straightforward. It's, it's really not. Yeah. Have, it can be years, years of work. And 
you know, eating disorders are the biggest out of all mental health illnesses. It's the largest death rate, unfortunately, for anorexia in particular, which is quite scary in a three and a half year waiting list on the NHS. So we've got a long way to go, I think, when it comes to getting care and the right help for so many more people. Wow. So what what's the waiting list at three and a half years to see um, a nutritionist for a person with anorexia or for... For the inpatient or, or actually even a referral to get perhaps a psychologist or a nutritionist. So this was a statistic by BEAT, the um, charity for eating disorders, and this was last October, November that that came out. It's such a shocking statistic. I think the NHS is extremely stretched and with more and more people coming forward, which is only a good thing, we just don't have the resources, unfortunately, for everybody. There's all, there's always a different person that may come higher up on the list. This is where BMI becomes a problem, um, which is basically looking at someone's weight and height and looking at how healthy they are between a normal BMI range under or above, body mass index, we call that. But some people can be a very healthy BMI and have a serious disordered relationship with food or eating disorder even. You can also be overweight and have traits of anorexia. So defining by a number yeah, isn't always helpful. Right. So it sounds like there's a real continuum of, of a spectrum, as you say, of different disorders. And you could be, you know, it's not just putting someone in a box and labelling them as something necessarily. Yeah, I think labelling is something that I have a real problem with. And it's, of course, you have to have a diagnosis in order to get help. So I do understand where it comes into play. But it can also be extremely unhelpful too. Once you have a label on you, you almost feel like this is you now. It's very hard to separate yourself from the illness. So one of the things we do in clinic is we, we try to name the illness something and separate what is the person's thoughts versus what is the illness thinking and try and make that separation but there's a lot of um even in terms of healthy eating and the realm now clean eating was something a year or two back that was quite um prominent in the press and actually for good reason because it's quite dangerous a lot of anorexia recovery would transpire into orthorexia which is an obsession with eating the word ortho in greek means pure and rexia obviously on the same kind of stance as anorexia and that was a derivative of just eating clean pure foods and a lot of recovery a lot of people would go from not eating to only eating these certain items and I hope it's recognized medically soon but I think we still have a bit of a long way to go uh, I don't think social media is helping Chloe either I'm not really sure what we can do it's interesting that what you mentioned before about food fear because Lots of people are scared of gluten or they're scared of carbs or they're scared of sugar or all these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Does that count as an eating disorder, do you think? Or is that just just part of how we've kind of a bit confused (laughs) as a society about food in general? I think um, to be diagnosed with an eating disorder, the criteria is a little bit different. I mean, I think having fear and anxiety around food can be a form of disordered eating, but a persistent, basically, a persistent restriction of energy intake is one classification of, of an eating disorder and a fear of gaining weight, an intense fear of weight gain, and also a disturbance in the way one's body weight or shape um, is experienced. And that's really difficult to define, but if you're thinking about... Um, self-evaluation and the persistent lack of recognition of, of you know how serious your current body weight is if you're very underweight and you're not aware of it body image dysmorphia that's very different to having a slight anxiety around eating a food mm-hmm. if it's not 
driven by a fear of gaining weight or those preoccupied thoughts. But it is a big problem, and I think it can transpire into disordered eating, Chloe, because I don't know about you, but I'm constantly seeing people that are giving up dairy because they're scared that they're suddenly going to get some bloating or digestive discomfort or it's affecting their skin or for a variety of other reasons. But then their diet becomes so restricted and it can become very complicated. Yeah, I yeah. think sometimes the the stress of trying to stick to a diet like that might counteract any mm. health benefits of having no sugar, for example. I mean, totally. yeah. And sugar's a classic one. I actually did a post on my Instagram page on Monday, my Myth Busting with Re series. I've developed this hashtag because there's so much confusion. People always ask me, where can I find that post you did on dairy or sugar? And I said, I'll just go to the hashtag because people think sugar is an addiction now. Or, you know, it's one of those items of food. It's either all or nothing. And that mindset is a very dangerous place. Um, the black and white thinking, we tend to call it. Sugar isn't actually addictive or bad for us in small amounts but it's when we have huge amounts of it or excess that it's a problem. However, in society, we've, we've almost called it the devil. I don't know. Sugar has become such a fear food for so many people, and I actually see why. We shouldn't be over-consuming it, but equally, we shouldn't be fearing it because there's no harm having it every now and again. And then on the flip side of the coin, perhaps in other countries, there's a lot of excess sugar in products, which there aren't here in the UK. America, for instance, may put a lot more in its food than we do over here. So you have to be savvy and read your labels a little bit. <laughs> I suppose I suppose that's one of the things that people get so overwhelmed by is the kind of conflicting advice and the latest newspaper that's telling you this is going to give you cancer, but no, it's not. It's going to cure your cancer or this sort of thing. So it is confusing, I think. Oh, completely. And also, um, my one advice to any of your listeners, Chloe, would be do not get your nutrition information from a headline. Um, always read what's in the paper because the headline may have nothing to do with the text that's actually below it. And yeah, this is why it gets confusing. And check the credentials and the qualifications of the people that are giving the quotes. Um, it's a bit of a minefield out there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, one thing I really wanted to ask you was, because everything is so confusing, in terms of really simple nutrition advice, what would be the simplest things you would suggest people to do for their kind of nutritional health? Oh, um, I think, um, do you know what? The most simple thing you could possibly do would be drink more water. It's, <laughs> it's not rocket science, but actually in the winter months, it's so difficult to do. I mean, the average Briton has less than one glass of water a day. That's just, isn't that scary? That's an awful statistic. Oh, that was by the BBC, actually. I remember reading that, and they'd done some research in a poll. And because our bodies are made up of 60% water, and every little cellular function inside your body needs water in order to carry about its everyday jobs. So it's like not putting petrol in a car. And you don't really notice the difference of being dehydrated until you're hydrated. So I challenge anyone out there to just try and get two liters on one day and see how you feel. Apart from running to the toilet a bit more, that gets better over time. Just see how clear your mind feels, how much better you sleep, how your skin feels when you wake up in the morning and your appetite changes in appetite and sensation. Water's a huge point. And then eat a lovely, colorful, balanced plate. No restriction, but good portion control. They're my kind of top nutritional tips. But that comes with a bit of investigation on what, what works for you, I think, because diets are definitely not the answer, in, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's so funny about the water because I think there was a th- there was a meme going around on Instagram the other day okay. about how, you know, you're feeling terrible, you're thinking the worst, you know, you're grumpy, you think you need to leave your job and move house, but probably you just need to actually drink some water. Oh um, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Don't how think your house or something isn't the most stressful thing people can do what well, isn't there a list as well of the most stressful things people do isn't moving house one of them or yes yeah married and things like that whereas actually we should just all drink more water and they'd all become less stressful <laughs> something like that it's just <laughs> cracks me up at least the message is out there yeah <laughs> yeah yeah do you have any tips for remembering to drink that much water what do you do okay so i have a my new favorite thing is a keep cup um I actually had it originally because I have like tea and matcha. I go, I don't like coffee very much, so I'm a bit of an odd bod. I just stick with green tea or herbal teas. But that turned into my water cup as well because I didn't want to be carrying a separate bottle and a keep cup in my bag, and sometimes I'd lose my bottle. So have one with you that you know is always in your handbag, and even if it's meant for hot drinks, put water in it too. And if you're working at a desk, I tell this to all my clients, I know it's not great for the environment, but it's a good starting point to buy a 1.5 to 2 litre bottle, mark it and use it quite a few times and test how much you drink. Then you can start with your recyclable bottles if you want and bringing that up. But it's good to have a visual, unless you can get a huge recyclable one, but I haven't seen one of those yet. Mm-hmm. There must be them out there. Yeah, but it's just, I suppose it's just about knowing what you're actually drinking, because I suppose we're not really aware. Like, I have no idea how much water I drink. I definitely need to do this. Well, keep it in a diary. Some people, like, instead of, like, just a food diary or something that can become a bit obsessive, in your phone now, I think on, I know on Samsung Health they do it, and I think Apple also has a... um, a version where you can put in tick boxes when you've drunk a glass of water. If you've got your mobile phone on you and you're a gadget person, try that. I mean, yeah. might as well use those gadgets for the good reasons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> might as well use our phones as a, oh yeah, source, source yeah. for good, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of making mistakes in terms of what we eat. And I know probably saying a mistake is probably not a very good thing to say because it's making things bad or good, which we're not really supposed to do when it comes to food. But are there some big mistakes that you see people making again and again when it comes to their nutrition? Do you know what? It's so interesting you say that because I literally just had a meeting before this podcast about feeling like I'm treading on eggshells when I'm using language around food now. And Mm. that also makes it very difficult for so many people. So actually, yes, we... We can be open and honest. We can make mistakes with our diet. We can make choices that won't lead to a better result that we wanted. So instead of having one chocolate pudding, we could have five. In my eyes, probably a mistake. Um, it's not something you would, intent- <laughs> you would intentionally want to do. And I think we can all honestly say, as much as we're allowed to enjoy chocolate puddings in moderation, five in a row is not great. But the biggest mistake, I would say, if we're using that word, would be having the same food every single day creatures of habit we are as human beings and i applaud you if you are at the stage where you are packing your lunchbox and you know what you're putting in it and you are a machine and you've got that routine down that is step one but step two from that is to get some different foods in there we need a variety of food to be optimally healthy for our gut bacteria to eat loads of different stuff to thrive um so that would be the thing so i would always start with breakfast try and have um 
if you're a porridge fan, just test yourself. Have eggs or a chia seed pudding the next day or some toast with some nut butter, something else just to be a little bit different. And then I would also say probably a quick fix approach. I mean, we've all been there. We've, we've probably all done it. I used to do diets. I think most people have tried them. You feel a bit miserable and to correct yourself or your feelings or your actions or your diet mistake of five chocolate puddings, the next day we may try and restrict or go on a juice cleanse. Whereas what we maybe should be doing is actually respecting our bodies and nourishing it and I came up with these four R's in my book Renourished which are to respect your body's number one to refuel it to rehydrate and allow yourself to recover they're the four R's I call them and I think um yeah you've had a kind of mistake just think what are my four R's I'm going to go back the next day and really respect myself (laughs) that's such a good idea that yeah that it's just a lot more sensible and positive than thinking yeah. I'm going to punish myself by restricting because it is that it does turn into a cycle of oh I've been so good I deserve a reward oh no I've eaten too much reward now I need to punish myself and it's like a weird cycle that is just not good for our minds I think so many people like that as well with the way they treat their minds and their behaviors and I think that we've been programmed to do it almost in society that we can undo an action whereas actually by just taking a little bit longer and remembering it's not what we do in a day It's what we do over a month or a year or even more that actually matters. And I don't know how you would visualize it. You're probably better at explaining that kind of thing than me. (laughs) No, that's that's totally, yeah, how I would think about it. Yeah. I mean, I used to work, I don't know if you've, I've told you this before. I used to work as a nutritionist in the NHS as a, um, in weight management and things. So I learned a lot of these things. Um, but, um, yeah, so my next question for you was around sports nutrition, because I know this is an area that you work in as well. Am I right? Yes. yes. It's like a new, um, it was a passion that came about because some of the people approached me were sports athletes. So I thought, oh, I'm going to go back because the module we did at university was not long enough. You need to do a whole other course. So I embarked upon another diploma in sports nutrition <laughs> and I actually graduated as a personal trainer last weekend. So it's given me a a whole new insight and sports nutrition is very much about looking at your body in a different way. So relationships with food matter for everybody, but if you are looking at performance-based nutrition, that's a different mindset completely. You have to be fueling your body because it can achieve some amazing, wonderful things if you put the right fuel in the tank again. It's when we don't fuel it accurately or we get timings wrong or the sport wrong. So different sports use different, to give you a little bit of background, different um, energy systems. So a cyclist or a a long, let's say Mo Farah, everyone knows Mo. So long distance running, he would be tapping into what we call aerobic energy, which is with oxygen, carbohydrates and fats. So they're the types of fuel someone like Mo would need in his diet in the lead up to running this race. Whereas a sprinter, like Usain Bolt, under 10 seconds, he taps into what we call a creatine phosphate system. That is not utilizing aerobic energy or oxygen. That's using creatine in the body. So we'd be looking at a complete different diet to him to utilize the power he can get from his muscles in a very short space of time. I hope I haven't complicated no, that. No, my, my like science geek <laughs> is loving this. My inner science geek. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is just like me. I found it so fascinating because sports nutrition was a completely different way of looking at it. And I actually found it quite refreshing because I think if you get stuck too much in in one pigeonhole, for me, it was especially the psychological element. Not everybody out there has a disordered eating or eating disorder. And some people genuinely are looking at this kind of aspect. It's quite nice to have different approaches, I think, to nutrition. Absolutely. Definitely. I suppose, yeah, for you, just as a practitioner, being able to work with different types of people is that is that variety as well. And Oh, it keeps it so varied. You just, yeah. you just don't know. And I'm working with a snooker player at the moment called Ronnie O'Sullivan. And it's as much, people don't see snooker as a, um, you know, what do you call it, energy expenditure type of sport. You know, it's not exactly like he's jumping up and down doing star jumps. He's just walking around the table. However, the mental brain power involved in that game to keep his concentration up, diet's so important because the wrong meal or alcohol, which they used to do apparently, they used to drink loads of it, or I don't know if they still do that, but he's on water. Ronnie is on water. (laughs) (laughs) I've got him on water, but the people that drink throughout a game, their mind's not going to be as sharp. They're not going to be able to give 100%. Yeah. I'm sure the dart players still drink. You see them drinking blue WKDs as they're oh, playing darts. Do you know, when I was younger, I can't believe I'm going to say this on your podcast, I thought my first experience of an alcoholic drink was, a this is embarrassing, was a red and blue, I'm going there, WKD. And I, I remember saying to my friend, Nikki, um, oh, you can't mix your drinks. You know, WKD, that's so bad. And she's like, really, they're the same drink. It's just like a different colour. It's like my first ever experience of alcohol was a WKD. Oh dear, irrelevant information, Chloe, irrelevant. No judgment here. I I drank my fair share of Alka Pops, so (laughs) we're in it together. (laughs) Um, Just, I suppose, go back to that point about sports. What about energy? Because I know lots of people listening. When you've got anxiety, energy is a massive issue because you're using up so much energy overthinking and being anxious. So in terms of energy, are there certain things you'd suggest people... Or if they have anxiety, even. I think um, there's obviously no one food that's going to help with anxiety, but maintaining a good blood sugar balance, so the right types of foods, and also being very aware of extra substances and stimulants. So caffeine, I'm sure you obviously know a lot about, but so many people don't realize that caffeine has that direct psychoactive effect on the brain so if you're already highly stimulated and stressed with anxiety running through your veins and your hormones are pumping the last thing we should be doing is adding an extra kind of alert stimulation I mean do you see a lot of clients with caffeine and anxiety I I always ask my clients how much caffeine they have and some some say oh yeah I have six coffees a day or something like this and ah maybe that's why you feel so rubbish but the palpitations are coming from yeah yeah as well and that's something people don't realize so yeah I think caffeine is six a day I mean it's quite common I see it a lot in clinic it's one of those things that so many people don't realize they have a problem with until they try and give it up or reduce it and then the fact you get withdrawals is a sign enough so I think for anxiety overall, enjoying your diet to relieve anxiety from that, but also nourishing your mind and body, getting a lot of color in, having low sugar releasing, what I call low glycemic index foods, a little bit more things like whole grains instead of white bread, have brown bread a bit more often. 
And then if you're going to have white bread, make sure you have it with a lot of vegetables and fiber or healthy fats like peanut butter to slow the release of the sugars a little bit. So there's a way around everything, but eating nice balanced meals is my ultimate tip. And hydration, unless you have to eat, unless alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) I think... I suppose there is that thing, I'm sure you get this all the time, of people wanting to know what is that magical one food that if I eat this, it's going to solve all my problems and cure me. And But there isn't, is there? It is just quite simple stuff. Well, there isn't. But there's this research that kind of relates to this that I only learned last week at a conference I was at at the Royal Society of Medicine. And Tim Spector, who specializes in the microbiome, was giving a lecture. And he was saying um, that more recently he discovered that individually – we all, no matter what the rating of sugar is in an item of food, we all react differently to it anyway. So he said his wife couldn't eat grapes without a massive blood sugar spike, whereas he would eat the same portion of grapes, nothing. So what is interesting is I think in 50 years' time, or I hope, we'll have such information that we can give personalized nutrition to help people with anxiety and find what's working for them on a cellular level that we can then apply every day. I mean, it's fascinating. I can see why my boyfriend reacts so well to a chocolate fondant and I feel a bit sluggish afterwards and it's just not fair. (laughs) So it's just, (laughs) these are the things that we're learning. (laughs) Wow, so um, was that the thing with the grapes? Is that to do with um, gut bacteria or was that something different? Yes, okay. He was saying that we all have. um, So a tenth of what we eat today is eaten by something else, the bacteria inside our body. And he said that we've all got such diverse different bacteria and microbes that some of them may choose to eat something at a different rate than others, or others get on better with it. And in other countries now, we're discussing fecal transplants and things like that, um, which are um, not too pleasant when you think about it. <laughs> eating that. someone else's poo, basically. Basically, yeah, well translated. <laughs> eating someone else's poo. I'm going to go out there and say um, <laughs> But eating poo is not yet a recognized medical thing over here. And um, it's only a matter of time till it will be, I think. Um, it seems to be quite beneficial right. for people. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. they put it into capsules, don't they? And they make it safe. It's not actually just eating low, Little brown capsules. <laughs> <laughs> oh, One day. One day. <laughs> do, do you recommend people take things like probiotics then? What was your stance on this? I mean, technically, nobody needs to be taking them, but there's no harm if you do take them. Like, there's there's no side effects that people will experience. In fact, a lot of the bacteria in these capsules are destroyed before they even reach the area they're meant to be going to anyway. But there's some certain strains that are more heavily researched for different areas, such as if you have a runny tummy and you go abroad, you know, traveler's diarrhea. There's a strain that I can never pronounce, Saccharides bouliardi, or they're all Latin names. That's a particular bacteria strain that's meant to be quite useful for that. And IBS, there's a lot of research that it helps ease IBS symptoms if you've got different bacteria. But I do encourage people to eat probiotic foods. So the more diversity they have, so prebiotic, but I know you're aware of this, but that feeds the bacteria, foods like onions, bananas, oats, different vegetables, leeks, and then probiotic foods, the live bacteria that you're putting into the body already, like Greek yogurt, um, sauerkraut, very popular um, probiotic food, kimchi, that's one of my favorites. I love the kind of pickled vegetables you get on the Chinese table, a Chinese restaurant at the beginning. I love those Mm. things. Kombucha, although there's not so much in kombucha, and kefir. 
So kefir is the one that we think at the moment is the best source you can get for a large collection. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Because mm, I tried to make kombucha. I got one of these kombucha making kits. Yeah. And I was really, it was going really well until I think it got too hot in my kitchen. And yeah. the, 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 I don't know what you call it, the bit of yeast, the yeah. scoby, yeah, yeah. <laughs> expanded to about five times its size and broke the container. And like, and my whole kitchen smelled of um, vinegar. It was not good. <laughs> Did you take a picture of this? I would love to have seen a giant, like, alien-looking scoby in It did look like it was trying to escape or something. It was amazing. It's so... like that, the movie, The Blob, or something. Yeah. You know, when they show that big black blob thing going out of the kitchen. It was like that. Anyway, so I need to... Maybe kefir is a better option for me. Yeah, a little I bit mean, safer and less smelly. Or just buy some. I think, yeah, um, yeah we'll just take the financial hit and buy a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that sounds like a, better, a safer option for me. Um, cool, that's some really good tips on sort of gut gut health and how it'll be interesting to see in the future what they discover because um, I know a lot of studies are going on into kind of gut health and nutrition and mental health. Mental health, I was going to say that's our, our kind of remit there and I'm so excited to see what comes out with that. They're also looking at it with obesity though as well because they're there's suggesting now that certain genes and bacteria together can have an influence on if someone becomes overweight or not. So who knows, Chloe? Very exciting times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one question I wanted to ask you is just how you personally stay healthy when mm. you're living a busy life. Because I know when I'm making a, a, a judgment from your Instagram feed that you're busy and I'm making a guess and I think I'm correct, but how do you manage to stay healthy and fit it all in? Well, I've not been the best um, example. And I think it's good I hold my hands up and say quite honestly that no one's perfect. And I struggle sometimes too. And I have all the tools to put it into action. When I'm having a really good day and I, I'm not traveling on a plane somewhere, doing, I can meal prep. And I am always organized, but I make double the portion the night before, and I take it for work the next day. I always have an apple or a banana, pack of dried apricots, nuts. I always have a snack in my handbag, because if I don't have those things on me, I get so hungry. I end up spending more money than I want to on other things. I make poor choices. I just, I can't get through the day without the energy. Water's another massive thing for me. I don't personally like caffeine, but I'm convinced that not having it's probably very good for my temperament because I get very anxious about things too. And when I'm working at such a highly stressed pace sometimes, I'm convinced that would only deter me from my feelings of optimum health overall. But more recently, actually, I had a week where I was at six airports in a week and it was exhausting. And I, I just didn't have time to meal prep because I didn't have access to a kitchen in the country I was staying in and I had to have airport food. And it's difficult. It is, it's really difficult. But preparation and knowing how to make sensible choices, even if you're not hungry, it's okay to eat. And people fear that. They think, oh, my stomach has to be rumbling. But the problem is you're probably going to be hungry in an hour's time when you're stuck on EasyJet with no access to nice food. So if anyone does fly Ryanair or EasyJet, porridge pots are a really, really good order on the aeroplane. And that's my go-to on an aeroplane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't want the sandwiches? I'll go for the porridge pot, thank you. Um, <laughs> but it's just being prepared. Sleep is my other massive tip. Um, 
I don't function, Chloe, about eight hours. Uh, it's so difficult and it's not ideal. I don't get it most days sometimes, but I try and prioritize that wherever I can. Yeah. I think they're my optimum tips, yeah. Preparation, yeah. lots of sleep, lots of water, and don't be scared to not be hungry when you eat. Really, really good. I was talking to someone, a friend the other day, and she said she'd just bought some new Tupperware for meal prepping. Yeah. And the fact that she hadn't had enough Tupperware had been the thing that had stopped her from meal prepping in the past. So it's just having that preparation. You think, well, I've got my Tupperware here. I'll make extra. I'll take it in for my lunch tomorrow. And it's okay. kind of it's funny how there's, there's barriers, like not having the right equipment or just not planning enough ahead in advance okay. can stop you. But really, it's quite simple to fix. That's how I felt with my keep cup. I, it sounds silly, but the minute I got a keep cup, it's always in my handbag that I like the color of. It's so silly, but I take it everywhere. So I've always got it in my bag and it's an incentive for me to go and get a drink, to go and get some tea or some water or fill it up wherever I go and I get discount. So once you've got those items, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, amazing. And you recently trained as a personal trainer. What made you do that? It's very exciting. I, well, it was a bit silly in hindsight because I did it in such a short space of time. So I, I've worked now up to seven weeks without a whole day off because I studied weekends to fit this in. But I think I am always have always been fascinated with exercise. I enjoy it, but I'm not obsessive about it. And I really wanted to see what personal trainers learn, first of all. I wanted to know what nutrition are they taught, how much science do they go into with the human body, and to be able to help and give direction to people myself, because I'm often asked and I feel in a position of authority or if you're being asked questions, I would never dream of answering them if I didn't feel I could give the answers. So really it's empowering myself with more knowledge and more tools and something I enjoy immensely. So I hope to make, make use of this. There's lots of things coming up and I would love to run some workout events and show little things that working out doesn't have to mean getting a big sweat on. It's actually more about longevity and joint health and preventing the aging of the brain. Because the more we exercise, the more we move, we can keep our brain healthier for a longer period of time, just as much as our joints. And they're the aspects I feel in the fitness industry are totally overlooked. It's aesthetics and weight loss. I care more about the other things. Mm, I like that perspective because I think there's a big trend towards kind of HIIT training, going to cycle classes and you know putting yourself under stress probably to to do that and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but for someone who's quite anxious maybe they don't want to get really sweaty in the gym maybe they just want something that is more just to help them to feel better and strengthen oh, their body a bit but I wouldn't recommend a bar class for that kind of thing more oh, okay. that's what I do or pilates or something like that where you're using your muscles you're but you're also tapping into your breathing more which as you know stimulates parasympathetic nervous system which helps you relax so perhaps for anyone that's listening that's very anxious try those exercises more than a more than a hit class and in fact bodybuilders we were looking at on a, another kind of edge of the spectrum because they don't do much cardio there's a reason that they die younger it's because they're not exercising their heart muscle they're purely aesthetically trained and working their muscles and because their heart's so weak their body can't take it so we've got to be really careful gosh that's interesting yeah, yeah. I, know. <laughs> I was um actually I've, I've just started running again I got too much into lifting weights at the gym and neglected the cardio and I had yeah. to run for a train the other day and it was not good oh. I was so no. felt like I couldn't breathe for a second but oh, I'm, I'm back on it getting on the train and you're like yeah. oh. <laughs> 
So there's one reason to exercise it. So you can actually run for the bus or yeah. run for the train. That's the best motivation I think we need. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to ask you what are proats? I still don't oh. understand fully what proats are. Yes. <laughs> okay. I actually really like proats, but I think it's been taken out of context into this fitness industry protein mission. So the word prote is in protein mixed with oat, like porridge, oats, put them together, you have something called prote. So people are basically just adding protein powder to porridge. It has a place for so many people that don't get enough in the diet. They may be a vegan and they don't like many sources of vegan protein. They don't eat tofu or they don't eat tempera or corn. They only like beans and pulses. It can taste quite good and be a motivation for some people that don't like porridge to make a kind of slightly better chocolate version than actually having a whole Cadbury dairy milk in a bowl of porridge <laughs> but they should never protein powder should never replace food it's not needed it's not a necessity and there's this obsession that proats are a healthier version of porridge whereas it's just porridge with a bit of extra protein and if you don't want that you could add yogurt or nuts or seeds um I really like a chocolate proats bowl personally but I think the options out there for everyone and you can choose whatever you like as long as you're aware of why you're choosing it, in, in my opinion. Mm. Never judge, just whatever people want to do, but it's not a miracle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So have that in your variety of breakfast maybe, but don't be yeah. having just a protein shake as a replacement for food. Gosh, no. Yeah. Or don't just swig it after you've been to your bar class or the gym because we just don't need it. And um, only if you're an elite athlete or you have been working extremely hard, do you need to replenish your protein shake after a workout. Ah, interesting. I think yeah. what happens to all the protein then? Do people wee it out or what happens? Yeah, you, that's it. Exactly. You just wee it out. I mean, you can only absorb around 20 to 30 grams in one sitting. So a lot of people, without intentionally doing so, have a lot more. In fact, some drinks they sell in America. I think my boyfriend bought one back once. I had like 40 grams of protein in a drink. And I was like, why would you drink that? You're just putting pressure and peeing it out your body. It's just unnecessary. And in fact, protein in some cases, if you overconsume it, can be turned into glucose. This is a different process that you'll remember gluconeogenesis. And if you have too much of something, that will get utilized by the body in a different way as well. Okay, so don't overdo it on the protein shakes. Noted, noted. Enjoy everything in moderation. <laughs> oh, amazing. Thank you so much for talking to me. Um, it's been fascinating. I'm going to have to sort my water situation out, really. Get yeah. some kind of measuring device and figure it out, I think. I need to get on the running kind of aspect, really. Oh, can you hear that beeping? I've got um, chocolate fondants in the oven. I know I was talking about them earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and my alarm is going off on my oven saying they're ready I'm so excited oh, right. perfect timing um can you tell us quickly before you get your things out of the oven um where people can find out more about you and where they can buy your amazing book and on your social media yeah um right where to start so retrition is the handle so my name's Rihanna and I merged it with the word nutrition so retrition on everywhere YouTube social media like Instagram Facebook Twitter and then the book is available on Amazon and at all good bookstores, WH Smith, Waterstones, a few of the independents. There's also lots of things coming up um, as well in the pipeline, which is very exciting. But I think the best way to contact me or my clinic would obviously be through the website, retrition.com, or my social media platforms. Amazing. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you. Well, nice to see you, Chloe. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.